Alright, we're back on the Money Mitch Effect. Hope everybody out there is having a good sports week. Almost uh, a fraction of good, as good as my next guest, reoccurring guest on the show, friend of the program, Joe Crisali. Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, day. yeah, I was going to say on a scale of 1 to 10, your sports feelings right now. Um, I'm 10, baby. I am... Up there right now. <laughs> I want party. I want you to just hold on to your horses and try to calm yourself down and don't get too excited, because I like to just kind of you know let the guests have the floor when and they have a big moment in their sports life. But we have to start in the correct order chronologically because it's important to the story. Of course, we're talking about the NFL moves, so we're going to get to your story in a second. But it started with Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay. And I think that was what kind of got the engines going. Rodgers deciding to stay and the fact that he is hasn't signed a contract yet. There's rumors out there if it's going to be a one-year massive deal, if it's going to be a huge deal that's the end of you know where he finishes out his career. But, Joe, how surprised should we be that Rodgers stays in Green Bay where it's only been what he's known as a pro? I don't, I'm not surprised at all. I feel like he was leaning that way the whole time. He was just kind of – felt like he was just throwing a little hissy fit <laughs> you know, over these last couple of years, trying to be the highest paid player ever. And I actually was told a stat from our buddies over at NFL Network saying that the highest paid player in NFL history at each, like each year that they were the highest paid has never won the Super Bowl. So mm. that's interesting. Uh, I think that, you know, part of it too being, and I'm going to just, you know, I, I understand he was upset. He he threw a hissy fit, as you said, which I agree with. But I think the bridges were mended over the course of a long season. You know, and that's not to say that he was right in how he handled certain things and the Packers could have done better surrounding talent around him. But this could be a lesson for, you know, a lot of the, the players out there to think things through. Now, that might mean leaving in certain circumstances. But if you look at his options and what would have been out there, what I kept coming back to, Joe, is – the NFC North is still an awful division and probably his easiest easiest path to what he needs, and that's another Super Bowl ring. Yeah, and I, that's probably partly why he decided to stay. But I never, I never really thought he was going to leave them. You know, I, I just think he's too entrenched in what the Packers are. And, like, you know, we got other, guy, other big-name guys that we haven't gotten to yet trade in changing jerseys but i always thought aaron Rodgers was going to stay in green bay him and Devontae adams have that kind of connection and i just, it just goes back to like what the hell was green bay doing drafting jordan love because now like that that dude is guaranteed on the bench for four more years so you trade him but then you don't get yeah you're not getting a first for him you know it's just kind of like a total wasted pick I think that's what soured Rodgers. I think that's what started his whole charade that he was going through um, because that team that he had that year was in win-now mode. Obviously, they usually always are with Rodgers, but drafting a, a rookie QB in the first round for him to groom, I, I he definitely did not take that well. So um, I feel like this is partly the Packers knowing Rodgers is MVP, one of the best in the game to ever play the game at the position, just kind of showing in good faith, like, yo, you're our guy. We'll make you the highest paid player ever, but we're going to have to really, you know, scrape by with the other positions. And I, I mean, the Packers, what, 
Rodgers has has one ring. He hasn't been to the Super Bowl since then. He hasn't been to what the championship game in a few years. I mean, not to say he won't get there, but funny though that we all thought that the day was going to be all about Aaron Rodgers today, but it isn't. Well, look, um, that will segue into this. I, I just I agree with you on the win now mode, and I think that there's a lot of criticisms. The love pick does look atrocious. I don't like the narrative that, oh, they haven't addressed skill position players like, oh, they haven't drafted a receiver in the first round. Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football. It doesn't matter where you draft these guys sometimes. So um, I think that they've they've whiffed on a lot of picks on their defense that have hurt them more than anything. But, uh, look, Rodgers is staying. Yeah. I don't think we should be that surprised. What today showed and why the Broncos who get Russell Wilson, why your Broncos get Russell Wilson, it just showed me that they were in the market I obviously, like a lot of people, a lot of teams, Rodgers was their first choice, but the Broncos had the ammunition. They were ready to make a move, and I think they were waiting to see what Rodgers was going to do before they moved on to Russell. And you know what? This is – I'll let you it's take better. it from here. It's a better play. It's, well, it's a better play. Hmm. I mean, okay. I, what you were talking about with um, Rodgers and the Packers not drafting position players, not taking a receiver in the first round, like you can't necessarily blame them for that. Look at, you know – the first-round receivers don't always hit. Yeah. Look at uh, Jalen Rigor with the Eagles. I mean, he's going to be probably the worst wide receiver they've ever drafted in the first round in their team's history. Definitely possible. Um, <laughs> some Philly, some, some so Philly they, side they snark use, there. Yeah, anytime I can dig on Philly, I'll take that. Um, Great season but, flyers. <laughs> <laughs> but you take, uh, like, you know, say they did take a receiver in that first round and it turned out to be a guy like Rigor, and then you're just in the same boat. Yeah. Um, so, but it's all like, you know, what could have happened. And you can, that's a rabbit hole that we don't need to go down. But the Broncos, in the Broncos scenario, it's so much better for them to get Russell, I think. He seems like a much better locker room leader. He's a smarter human being. He doesn't go out spewing his nonsense out and about. He keeps himself. And he's, you know, like I just said, he's a superior leader compared to any other QB in the entire league. Every year he's in the Pro Bowl. I mean, there's so much you can say about Russell Wilson. He destroyed the Broncos in the Super Bowl, so maybe he can he can get them one. Um, and the good part about this is uh, the the Broncos they seem to be getting these QBs in the twilights of their careers. But Russell Wilson, you know, it seems like he should have a few good years left in him. Maybe three, four years they get, maybe five years out of him, depending on you know how it goes down the road. But I mean, you gotta you gotta feel for those Broncos receivers going from all these <laughs> random QBs, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, Joe Flacco, uh, Case Keenum, Brett Rippin over the last couple of years. That now they're like, we have Russell Wilson, so let's. All right. And can, can I can it, I just say something it's here? Fun to watch. <laughs> all right, I, I don't. <laughs> I am happy for you, and I like Russ um, as a quarterback. What he's accomplished. I don't want to rain on your parade, but we got to stop this complete love fest. Like this is going to be the end all be all on the Broncos are just winning the Super Bowl. I did like the move. Number one, main reason being they didn't have to give up much, as you said. Um, and we'll get to the Seahawks in a little bit, but you know, they didn't have to give up much. As you said, Here, here's where I'm going to just push back a little bit. Are we not sure we haven't seen the best of Russell Wilson yet? It's definitely, you know, because I was talking to somebody, I think it was you on this podcast. I know it was you on this podcast a couple years ago. And man, one of us was just like, man, this Cam Newton signing for the Patriots is great. Watch out. Title town. 
start the boat parade and, and uh, you know, it didn't happen. And you could, you could say that with other quarterbacks in history that they're not all going to age like Tom Brady or even Aaron Rodgers or, or Peyton Manning. So I am a little worried about the hits he's taken. I don't really take much into account the, you know, wanting to get out of Seattle that, you know, a lot of quarterbacks want to just jockey for where they want to be. But um, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but I do think that we got to just taper it to where he's taken some hits. You know, he's gotten banged up the last couple of years. Um, we'll see what we have, but, but without question, I'll give the Broncos props for this. They built the roster where in theory, an elite quarterback comes in and, and plays well, big if, but he plays well. And uh, Russell can take that team back to higher ground. I definitely see your side of the story. Um, but, I mean, you look at last year, Russell Wilson, everybody said it was the worst year of his career. He didn't play, what, like five, six games? He had a busted finger he was playing through. So the Seahawks were already on that downward spiral. They were ready to just turn towards the all-time Jet quarterback, Geno Smith, to lead them. But, <laughs> um, I mean, what the Broncos gave up, too. Like, like I said to you earlier, they still have, what, like four or I think like four or six top picks in the top 115 in the draft so I mean they gave up two first round picks two second round picks and a fifth and a couple position players Noah Fant got some upside but poor Noah Fant going from having Drew Locke as his quarterback to having Drew Locke as his quarterback (laughs) okay uh, (laughs) that's pretty good for the Seahawks like you know they get they get some draft pick compensation in return they get you know some decent players Shelby Harris um, but they didn't get what they gave up for Jamal Adams when they traded with the Jets. They gave up three first-round draft picks for him. And they're giving up Russell Wilson to the Broncos and then immediately releasing Bobby Wagner, not even trading him a few hours later. So they're just going full rebuild and uh, up here in Seattle. But I <laughs> I keep forgetting you're in Seattle. So you're just know, right? walking around town, jumping up and down, probably skipping over puddles. And they're yeah. just crying into them and, and creating more puddles. All the all my friends up here, I, I had to text all of them and just uh, just said Russell Wilson, baby, thank you so much, Seattle, and they were just like, oh my god, I I don't know what I'm gonna do. Mostly because that's just another suck team up here that's been <laughs> added to the list. So all right, it's it's all all uh, all hope is on the Mariners. Let's just put it that way for the fan base up here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, baseball season it's looking promising. Uh, yeah. Here's the other thing with the Seahawks too is that they didn't get much in this return. Bobby Wagner gone as well. Um, they thought about that maybe a rebuild would happen last year. It didn't. They've gone for the clean break. It's going to be worse before it gets better. Um, whether it's Drew Locke or somebody else. And I do think that Pete Carroll would be an ideal coach for a rebuild because it's young guys, enthusiasm, he can get them to outplay. But what's he in his 70s now? I just don't think he's going to want to stick around for three, four years, which is what it would take, even though he has, you know, favorability in that town where they would trust him to lead through the dark days. I just don't see him being a coach much longer for the Seahawks. Well, I mean, mean, you can put it this way. Like, he'll be around (laughs) because – a lot of the um, a lot of the fans and a lot of the writers up here are kind of saying it as if the Seahawks picked Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson, um, which I mean I don't view. It I don't that think way that's fair. I don't think that's fair no. because I think he I think Russell wanted out, and it's not like not that I know you might know this, but that Russell said him or me. 
I, I think I never think it was framed that way. It wasn't. I think Russell, the, the issue was that Russell had gone to organization a few years in a row. It wasn't like it was just one, th- one thing, one time. He had told them, these are the positions of need that we have. I'm getting sacked way too much. I need players here. I need players there. We need to get better in these areas. And the team didn't address those things. They didn't address the needs that he, as a player on the field, told them that they needed. Now, I mean, that also goes towards like how much you know pull should a player have in an organization's moves. But when you have a guy like Russell Wilson that has brought you to the Super Bowl, has won you a Super Bowl, is one of the all-time QBs, probably ever of for Seattle, probably the best quarterback they've ever had here. Um, I mean, you gotta you gotta listen to him at least. Yeah. You know, I mean. There was really no way that he wasn't going to make his way out. If those little those little things, like you said, those little blurbs about him saying he he wanted out, I mean, there, there had to be some truth to them, and clearly that there were, there was. 2018. This is what I keep coming back to. 2018 NFL Draft, 27th overall. The Seahawks took Rashad Penny. You had yep. you had Nick Chubb in that same draft. You had Cortland Sutton on your Broncos. You had players that could have affected you Darius Leonard as well from the Colts the linebacker that was a big miss and well that's that's well that's another player for them so Rashad Penny amazing season last year during the season they didn't re-up him so now he becomes a free agent and they're not going to get into a bidding war with teams to retain him so he might be a guy that turned the corner but the team is in full rebuild so they're not really in a mode to pay a Rashad Penny not necessarily like he's totally earned it but he's definitely somebody who deserves a second look after the way he played at the end of last season. Um, But that's just another guy that they're not going to get anything for. He's just going to be gone. So it's going to be tough up here. Dark days ahead in Seattle, but sunny skies for Denver as uh, John Elway gets his man. The QB guru is back. He, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. John Elway <laughs> no, doesn't I, have his hand in that at all. Like, the reason, the reason that to... the Broncos are on the upward trend is because John Elway is out of the GM office. I guarantee you <laughs> that all these other GMs, when they were calling Denver, they didn't want to talk to John Elway. They wanted to talk to another guy like George Patton who could you know, woo him and John Elway just wasn't that guy. And he proved it over uh, a span of a few years. And as Broncos fans, we are all very happy to have everything in place the way that it is now. (laughs) Hopefully Uh, Von Miller makes his way back over. What I love about that is if that was anybody else, like literally anybody else, you would just be like, this guy's a bum. He's terrible. Get him out of here. But that's about the meanest you could be to John Elway is what I just heard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I could say. I mean, what? He won, He got two Super Bowls for us. You can only bash him so much. I know. You, you can't hate him. I get it. I do. Believe me, I get it. All right, Joe Crisali here. He's definitely a Drew Lock truther, though, so yeah. he can take him on the way out. He was. Uh, Joe Crisali here on the Money Mitch Effect. Um, you know, not. I guess see a lot of sports news, a lot of NFL news, and, uh, you know, we'll get to some other things, too, before we switch gears and switch arenas, but... What else has surprised you on this this week in particular? We're starting to see some franchise tags going on, some movement maybe lurking, combines in the rear view. What else is standing out so far these last couple of days? Um, we're talking NFL wise. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because I would say, I mean, the tags are coming out. Uh, Chris Godwin's going to get tagged. Looks like uh, well, our guy Njoku for the Browns is tagged, which is interesting. Yeah, Those are that's always an interesting about- time. 
the Browns are also talking about keeping Austin Hooper too, with, which doesn't make total sense to me. But Njoku had a couple games for you guys last year. What has surprised me is all this love that Mitchell Trubisky has been getting uh, lately. I just don't understand. The guy has proven that he's not really the guy. Um, and the Giants are talking about being in on him. Another uh, another uh, thing to watch, I, I think, is the Patriots. They have proven over the last, I mean, forever, that they don't spend money, even on their own players that they bring up. They got J.C. Jackson over here, who is one of the best corners in the league, and they already said they're not going to pay him. So I'm, I'm interested he lands. I'm interested to see what happens now with Jimmy Garoppolo, Carson Wentz, because you look at teams like uh, the Commanders, <laughs> and, and Sorry. they wanted <laughs> Russell funny. Wilson. They wanted, they definitely wanted to be in on Russell Wilson, but now they're kind of limited. Okay, we end up drafting a player like Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, or do we um, go out and get a Wentz or, you know, um, a Garoppolo, which who knows what the trade market is for Garoppolo um, at this point. But another player that is in uh, a lot of the news is Deshaun Watson, and I'm sick of hearing about all these potential trade scenarios for him. Like this dude is about to to have some criminal charges under his belt. Like we need to stop talking about him as if he's this amazing savior football player, which he is a fantastic football player, but as a person clearly he's got some work to do so we should just get him out of the news as it is right now well that seems like based on that last part what you just said he does seem unfortunately like a logical successor in pittsburgh but uh i, I agree with you there um let me just also point out some other mother notes that you meant i know you threw the browns in there um you know they're gonna bring back baker mayfield so i'm not optimistic let's just Call it like it is right there. So I feel like this could be Only the reckoning. One. I feel like this could be the reckoning that I'm gonna I'm gonna hate watch the season, but maybe it'll be better on the other side. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's also just just break down some other news and notes that we've seen across the league. And I think it, you know, with the cap, I think staying at about the same place. And you know, the quarterback game is is always a big one. The rookie class is just not that good. I mean, across the board, it's not viewed as such. I'm not yeah, gonna. It's mostly, it's most it seems like it's mostly position guys. Like it's kind of your filler. It's yeah. your filler draft. Uh, Chris Olave ran a four two six forty from Ohio State, and he wasn't even the fastest player. So there are some yeah. burners this year. Um, Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, I'm not going to badmouth him too much, but I will say that I think he's like your spot starter at, at best backup. And I think there's teams that are going to take a chance on him. I think I heard it was Daniel Jeremiah say last year. And he called the shot, and it looks like, right, like he's going to be a starter next year just because there's going to be slots open, again, because of the rookie QB class. If the Giants, let's say, bring a guy like that in, I mean, they're basically just saying, look, Daniel Jones, this is it. Like, if you can't beat this guy out, then we're going to have to scrap it at the beginning anyway, which, you know, if you need a quarterback and you don't like anyone in this class, then, yeah, just bring in the random veteran and think, see if you can get lightning in a bottle because it wasn't too long ago when a guy like Ryan Tannehill was in that situation. And uh, as far as, like, the Giants go, you know, that's, this is the make-or-break-it year, like you said, for Daniel Jones. So, And it makes sense with Dabble there, having been around Trubisky. So that's the right play. I think one thing that we haven't talked about is the Calvin Ridley situation I was saving it and I'm glad you brought it up and not me because can we just can we acknowledge that the first part of this that should be pointed out is how just dumb he is 
for what he did. Like, I'm never going to acknowledge that people should commit, you know, I shouldn't say crimes, but do things that are illegal based on their workplace, let's say. This guy used yeah. a freaking credit card. You know, he he made the bets in his name. <laughs> Wasn't his username like Calvin Ridley from the Falcons? Yeah. Uh-huh. Something like that. Yeah. So, well, the, the issue, the issue, there's two sides to this. So he takes off the whole season to focus on his mental health. Like he has the right to do that. Um, so, I mean, I commend him for doing that because that's really hard to do. Um, but then he goes and he gambles. In, I think it was in Florida, right, where it's not mm-hmm. – he, he did it on an app where it's not legal, something like that. Um, and he only bet 1500 bucks. And he made all those parlays too. I mean, which – Yeah, it just – parlays that had Falcons winning. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I just don't understand how you do something like that and then you have to sit out an entire season. Like, I get maybe there should be some repercussions. Like, the guy already sat out a whole season. So the other side to this is the Falcons were in trade talks with other teams with Calvin Ridley in in those talks. Mm. And they weren't sure of his situation. And then they found out about the gambling and they did other teams a solid by pulling out of the trade discussions. Now, I heard that too. And and great, it it is good business practices. But I do wonder if if this trade would have gone through without them knowing it, it would have been someone would have raised hell in the league office. So that's one where oh, you absolutely. could have seen a void or a fine or or even picks awarded. So I don't think it's as black and white as they could have just dumped him on them without letting him know that he was being investigated. But, you know, that being said, it's brought up a bigger point, And that point is, should NFL players be allowed to bet on themselves like boxers are, like fighters are? Uh, oddly enough, from what from what I've read, he was busted by a gambling partner of the league because they're in business with them and they want to stay in the NFL's good graces. Because if they if they don't report this, the NFL could just cut them out. So yeah, and it just it just kind of became a thing, an acceptable thing by the NFL yeah. to bet on the games. Now I, I don't think players should be able to bet on the games that they're playing in. Yeah. Um, or on any games because they have way more insider information on it than we do. Yeah. Now that's the that's a that's a very good point. Is that they are you know it, it's gambling a lot. Sports gambling is a lot like the stock market. You're going to read up. You're going to study stuff. But ultimately, you're going to just make your decisions and make those educated guesses on something you yeah, really can't guessing. control. We're guessing. He, the, yeah. I, I mean, they don't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen, but they have a much better idea of how something's going to play out than we do as fans. But that also goes to say, like, I don't necessarily think that he should be suspended for an entire season. It should go towards how much he gambled, how much he won, how much he lost, and how long he was doing it for. He placed, what, like three bets? And to suspend him for a whole season, now maybe they do something like something silly, like you'll lose a game a bet, you know? Like, so he suspended for three games or something like that. But a whole season is a little is a little much, especially yeah. for a guy who uh, kind of took off the whole year to focus on his mental health as it is. Yeah, and I also think that regarding, you know, it's like insider trading and the, to do the stock market correlation. Uh, maybe, I mean, look, maybe... Which is legal somehow. Which is legal somehow. Well, in certain cases. This was the <laughs> NFL bringing the hammer down, saying, knock this off, do not, do not do this, or we'll punish you. But then I also think that you know, betting on your own, whether or not you ethically agree with betting on yourself or betting on, because if you bet against himself, then yeah, he's kicked out of the league probably. But if you 
bet on yourself. You're still betting, you know, in the game itself. And, you know, the fact that you have too much to lose. Like, what are you getting on a bet that you're making in a game check? Like, he's costing himself millions of dollars versus whatever his bets are. Uh, I just think that we'll get to a point where this is all, you know, it's it's gotten normalized. It's basically legal in most of the states now. But mm-hmm. I just uh, I just don't know anymore. Uh, Calvin Ridley, not the sharpest uh, tool in the shed, and a rough uh, you know a rough uh, year or so for these Alabama receivers. So uh, we just got to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I mean, we got a year without him, so we're gonna have two years in a row without him. Um, and that's things for the Falcons because Matt Ryan, he doesn't really have ice in his veins anymore. No, no. QB movement's still going to be exciting to see. I think Ryan's going to stay with Atlanta. Uh, all right, Joe Crisali. I usually, you know, we would. I was just going to touch on this and maybe save it for the end, but every time I save baseball for the end, we always leave the show in just a pissed-off mood. So let's just talk <laughs> baseball really quickly right oh, now. What is the nicest thing you could say about Rob Manfred? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough question. That's like asking me what I'm going to wear for Halloween. Um <laughs> I the nicest thing I could say about Rob Manfred is he is a person. Okay, that's nicer than I thought. <laughs> I'm actually not sure I believe that either. Uh, he's yeah, it's just a disaster. And the owners and Manfred. I mean, <laughs> I, I I've hated having to do this, but I don't want to turn myself into a Roger Goodell defender. But the answer to the worst commissioner in sports is clearly Rob Manfred. And the main reason is, whether it's Goodell, Gary Bettman, even Adam Silver with some slip-ups, nobody's perfect. This is a hard job. But I've never doubted if they've loved the sport or wanted the sport to succeed. Like, never once. Even Roger Goodell, all the off-field stuff, he's all about putting the product on the field, making it the best for the fans, and keeping the train going. And same with Batman yeah. and Silver. I, I sincerely, this is the first time, I've, maybe in my life, I doubt that a commissioner really wants this game to grow and succeed. It also, it also seems like the other leagues, like NHL, even um, NBA, NFL, they listen. Not completely, but they listen to some of the concerns that the players have and the things that they want to do. MLB, like you said, these owners. They don't love the sport. They view the players as a product, and they view them as just heads on a sheet, heads on a spreadsheet. This person costs this much. We can. The whole the whole issue with all of it is the MLB players want player service time and younger players to be paid adequately, and they want more money for minor league players which the MLB doesn't want to pay for. They don't want to pay for minor league players. They don't even want to pay for players at spring, minor league players at spring training. They view it as we're paying for their training, so they're getting the benefit out of it. But at base level, like these people are working. This is their job. You need to pay them for their work. It's, it's that simple. But these owners, like even you see, if a guy like Derek Jeter can go to an organization and help them, try to rebuild and get young players. And they went to the playoffs with that team, the Marlins did. And Jeter wants to to win. He wanted to win. And he wanted to, um, you know, sign bigger-name players and fill that roster out because it's not necessarily close for that team, but they can make some moves. But the ownership doesn't want to spend the money. 
and they don't want to win because what they want to do is they want to stay under a certain threshold of the salary so that they can get more money out of the pool that the MLB has based off of the luxury tax. And that was the other thing about the luxury tax is MLB, there's not supposed to be a cap, but the luxury tax serves as a cap so that those teams that hit that pay to hit over it, they take that money over the top and it goes into the pool so that the teams like the Pirates and the teams like the Marlins and, you know, I don't want to say the bottom feeder teams, but they get extra money by sucking harder. And then the players that they have on their roster, they're not making anything. They're making league minimum. They're making, you know, well, that's, yeah, yeah. manipulating the service time, kind of like what we saw with Chris Bryant a few years ago where the guy doesn't get to come up straight out of spring training even though he earned it because they want to – I, I, extra year of yeah, I want to make it abundantly clear that I understand that both sides of not this negotiation, but of the of the winners and losers, you know, the beggars and choosers, that I have a problem with the structure of how baseball's been for a variety of reasons. And number one being, you know, we see the teams that spend the most money, and and you know they go for it. Credit to them, and you know I always say, I mean, the, the now Guardians are one of the teams that are the cheapest. They're one of the cheapest in baseball. That's how they've been. Um, and why, and, and you say, how do you counteract that? It's a lot of what you said. You get rewarded for sucking harder. That has to stop. That, that just has to stop because it doesn't, you know, the Marlins, like you said, Derek Jeter, he wants to put a contender out. He's getting the iron fist from the, you know, ownership group because they're seeing it, that they could benefit from it. Uh, I'm just so fed up with all of this. I like baseball. I don't, I'm not buying into the narrative that it's dying. I don't want to hear necessarily that it's that i just think that some really spoiled entitled people are uh, only out for themselves and they don't even play the game and we're not going to get you know a full baseball season as a result that's that's my piece i mean i don't i i don't think it's necessarily fair the structure that's in place and i don't think the players are at fault for that i think the owners have it in their minds that this is what they want to do this is the system they want and manfred's not standing up for the good of the game so and then they're just making these random deadlines that they're just they're making themselves where they're just telling them you better accept it by this date or we're going to cancel more games. Mm. They're complaining about not making enough money. I'm pretty sure MLB made I think it was like 14 billion more the last 3 years than they did the previous 3 years. So, they're making more money and they're trying to keep it all for themselves while the players want a bigger share and they want the um the younger players to benefit from it. And it's just so, it's so hard to watch because it's like everything. It's the same thing with like fantasy GM when you're doing like contracts and all sorts of stuff like that. Like the whole point of it is to have a, a player, a really good young player for cheap for a few years. And then when it's time to sign him, you let him go and then you can just recycle that. And that's the same way that it is in baseball now where you want, you want to bring up a young guy, but it's different. The Rays have kind of done it a little bit differently, but those deals that they signed those players to, like Wander Franco, he signed him to about like a 12 or 13 year deal or whatever. Like, yeah, he's still making a good chunk of change across that whole contract, but had he had he waited to sign, he might make more. That's kind of why Juan Soto turned down his contract, which is just absurd. He turned down $300 million, but... Um, because in reality, how much more are you going to make? That's like betting on yourself. But that's all besides the point. Yeah, um, I I just yeah. I, I don't want to I don't want to talk too much more negatively because I do like baseball. I know you like baseball, and we just want to see it. So 
uh, get to work, guys. It. it sucks because now's the time. Like I just, I just uh, started coaching little league baseball. Oh, nice. So I'm, I'm working with like 11, 10 year old, 11, 12 year old kids, and these kids love the game, and mm-hmm. they're kind of, you know, they don't pay too much attention to all the stuff that's going on right now. But you just want the game to to grow, and you want more kids to be able to look at it and not have these kind of views that we have on it right now, where it's like. Man, if I if I get really interested in this, how how much am I going to have to watch these these rich yeah. dudes that don't care about the game control it? Right. Like they're arguing for bigger bases and a pitch clock <laughs> and all this other crap, and the players are like, whatever. Just let's make sure that we get the things that we want. And the other thing is like, even on MLB Network, obviously it's run by MLB. They wouldn't even run the players' press conference after after the um those negotiations didn't go the, the way that they wanted yeah. it was all man, seeing manfred smiling seeing him smiling after and laughing after all those negotiations went sour just really put a damper on all of it and everybody kind of just looked at that and was like wow like this is the guy that's running baseball right now and it really sucked because right now it would be spring training i would be down shooting interviews and doing all sorts of stuff like that and we already had the other crappy part about it is we already had a COVID year. We already had a season that was that was completely different than what we were used to. Um, this was the year where everything kind of could have just started the way it should be, and they shot themselves in the foot. I'm going to move on because I don't want to get too negative. I want to end this on a on a positive note. Uh, that's awesome that you're, and we can segue here. That's awesome that you're working with kids now. Reminds me of uh, you know about seven eight years ago when I was coaching a youth hockey team. Uh, and it was great, you know, great to see the next generation. And, uh, you know, I told that goalie every day, keep your stick on the ice. And I just kept scoring on him five hole. So <laughs> <laughs> it's rewarding though. When you, yeah. when you teach them something and you show them something yeah. and then, and, and you can really see it click mm-hmm. in their head and oh, yeah. they do it and they're like, wow, this works. It's just, it's a good feeling. It is. And, uh, to harbor back to, uh, a little bit of my childhood, uh, I was lucky enough this past weekend to head back to, uh, Ohio. I was in Columbus for Rick Nash Jersey retirement night, uh, in the Blue Jackets Bruins game, which the Bruins unfortunately won. Uh, and, uh, you know, before we get to just, you know, the current state of the game, I just wanted to say, I mean, the first Jersey retirement, Rick Nash was the Columbus Blue Jackets. I know he played for the Rangers, got to go on a couple runs with you guys up in New York, but, you know, he was the number one overall pick drafted to an expansion franchise, essentially, and uh, didn't really have any help, stayed as long as he could, and, uh, you know, made, you know, he was the guy everybody wanted to be like as an Ohio hockey player growing up because they didn't have any other examples. And you see it in the NHL now with guys like Corrali, guys like Roslovic, uh, who made it to the next level. Uh, so I was just happy to see it, happy to see him honored. Um, you know, I think he obviously deserved it. Won a couple of gold medals. Uh, and it was a fun night, fun ceremony. And, you know, they played all the tributes. Uh, you know, I was I was at the arena bar for most of his speech earlier, right next to the arena, and they played all the tributes on, broadcast it. Blue Jackets teammates, coaches, Canadian national guys. And uh, when they put Crosby on, everybody started booing and yelled, get him off the screen. So it just felt great. <laughs> Did you bring the tissues with you? <laughs> no, I didn't necessarily need tissues, uh, you know, but I understand it. Uh, oddly enough, the uh, men's restroom has a list of logos of division rivals on the urinals. 
You know, yeah. there's other teams on there. Rangers are on there. Capitals are on there. And it wasn't that crowded, but I waited in line to use the Pittsburgh one. <laughs> you wanted to, to piss on Pittsburgh. Right yeah, had to. But, no, it was it was good, and the game was exciting. Five to four. Voracek scores a goal with one left sellout crowd uh, to tie it. Place goes bananas, dancing in the aisles. Uh, lose, whatever. Brad Marchant unbelievably hated like i didn't realize how hated this guy was by the local crowds and how much he enjoys it you know he he will deliberately go off the ice late just to soak in those boots so it works yeah he's a universally hated human and people that feed off that hatred are mm. there's a reason mm-hmm. he plays but better it's cool you got to see rick nash retirement i respect the hell out of that guy we got a solid five years out of him in new york and uh he was a beast yeah, and uh, I've heard, I think it was Chris Kreider say, you know, he was the guy that kind of sh- took me under under the wings and showed me. Kreider was on that line, I believe, when he first got, you know, called up. So, um, no, it's it, w- it was good to see. Uh, and as far as the Blue Jackets go, look, they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're going to finish about the 9 to the 10 best team in the East. This is much better than I thought they would be. Like, I'll just be perfectly honest. To see them play hard for Brad Larson when they don't have, you know, the talent of a playoff team is pretty inspiring. Um, you know, and I think it bodes well for the future. Now, obviously, they have to get good guides. Uh, but I've been impressed, too. And, oh, by the way, Elvis Merzlikens in that game, before I forget, had one of the most athletic plays a goalie's ever made. Uh, Rolenski got upended. It was rolling, barrel rolling towards the net, and Elvis jumped over him, got about four feet off the ground, and then was <laughs> staring at the replay. <laughs> while he was watching it on the Jumbotron. So, but happy, happy season for the Jackets, you know. I I also wanted to say about your Jackets, uh, you and me were pretty harsh on Patrick Laine a few, maybe like a month or two ago we, we were talking about him. And he has really turned it around for you guys. I mean, he's been absolutely on fire for the last, like, month. So when I was on my... I almost cut him from my fantasy team, but I was just like, I can't do that, you know. Just give him a, just give him a chance, and oh, I kept man. him, and he's just been absolutely dominating for the last last month or two. So, ever since his head coach called him out and basically told him he was being a baby about everything, um, he kind of yeah. turned it around. Yeah, he has. He's he's like the perfect men's league player. He's slow. Doesn't really like to play around in the defensive zone, but he's got amazing hands and one of the best shots in the world. So, yeah, he's turned it around. Uh, how about how do you feel about your boys, though, the Rangers? You know, if we would have done this about a month ago, I think you would have been really, really amped up. And the Rangers are still good, but there's been a little bit of a, I don't want to say step back, but, you know, there's some growing pains in a long season. How do you feel about them going into the playoffs where their seeds might be, unfortunately staring down at the Pittsburgh Penguins maybe in round one? Yeah, I mean, obviously it sucks to see Pittsburgh up in there again, but it, I feel like it's whenever the Rangers are up in it, they got to play the Capitals, they got to play the Penguins. It's just kind of like, you know, that's the division, that right? Like you have to do yeah. it. It's it's crazy. It's but I haven't I haven't soured on the team. Um, I do think that they need to address a few things here as we hit this trade deadline. Georgiev in the as a backup goalie, they need to address that immediately. He looked terrible tonight. He has really bad communication with the team out there. He's kind of the goalie that if something happens and he lets in a goalie, throws his hands up in the air and makes it seem like it's everybody else's fault. And there was a period of time when he first came up that they thought, oh, wow, we're going to this guy with Lundqvist. We're gonna, it's going to be great. But Shesterkin is 
I mean, unbelievable. They need to address their third line is, has been terrible. Um, and obviously beyond that, uh, Fox has kind of cooled off a little bit. Zibanejad hasn't been as uh, prominent of a goal scorer as, as previous years, but Chris Kreider obviously having a career year. Um, you know, they're they're in it. I'm not I'm not counting them out at all. They weren't a playoff team last year, so seeing them where they are now is is good. And Lafreniere has kind of turned it around a little bit the last uh, couple last couple games, and he's I think they tossed him up on the top line. Yeah, the top line, they got Kreider, Zibanejad, and Lafreniere. So they just seem like they're a little a little shallow. Their roster isn't very deep, um, but they, their brand of hockey that they've been playing this year has been a lot tougher. The game that I saw they, when they played the Capitals, usually they get pushed around by that team. Yeah, they push they back. They push back. <laughs> they push back, and they should have had a shutout if Ovechkin didn't score in the last like three minutes of the game. But they push back. Reeves got in there, and that's the other thing. It's having guys like Reeves on the team, it fires everybody else up. Lafreniere is pushing people around. They got Hunt pushing people around. Um, but that that third line needs needs some work. Um, Filipito doesn't really offer much in terms of, I don't know, really anything. I think he's only got six goals on the year. They paid Goodrow as a you know second or third line center, and that's kind of all he's been. I really don't think that, I mean, I thought that they were expecting more out of him, and I, I mean, I kind of was too signing him to that deal. Mm-hmm. You know, if they go out and they make a few moves, they bring back a JT Miller, uh, um, something like that. They get a good backup goalie. Uh, you know, throw somebody back there that can actually <laughs> stop the puck. That would be kind of nice. JT but, Miller. Um, that's that's so you funny. You get another guy in there that can score. <laughs> the thing is, Canucks. They're they're kind of right there. So the asking price for Miller is is really high, um, but yeah, imagine that they trade him in the deal with McDonough to the Lightning. He goes from the Lightning to the Canucks, and then they gotta make a crazy offer to get him. Um, but I'm I'm not putting anything past Drury. You know, I I was very skeptical about how he was forming this team up when he first came in, getting rid of a couple guys and and jaking all of it up, but. For the most part, the team has kind of has played well. Um, obviously, like you said, there's growing growing pains. Like Keandre Miller is a great player, big dude, but he makes plenty of mistakes. It's which mm-hmm. are kind of hard to watch, where he turns the puck over on well, transition plays. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big decision for whether or not the Rangers get get somewhat aggressive. Are they going to try to improve that third line? Um, but they're in the mix, and you know that's as much as you can ask for this year. I think that. The playoff series, I just have some thoughts on that. The way they're shaping up, I mean, New York-Pittsburgh, I'll be rocking hard for the Rangers on that one, about as hard as I ever have. Uh, But you look at Toronto struggling in the Atlantic a little bit uh, recently. If Boston were to catch them, I mean, Florida and Tampa at the top of that division, we basically have the eight playoff teams set, which is crazy in the East. And the West is just, you know, it's kind of good, though, because for you, I mean, you got to deal with Pittsburgh, probably Washington, but no Flyers, no Devils. Barry Trotz is talking about ex-wives or something. I mean, it's just not (laughs) it's just not good for those guys. Uh, The West is definitely a little more wide open. Yeah, I like you said, if anybody's going to pop into the wild card there in the East, it could be Columbus, but I mean, they're ten points out right I now. I mean, yeah, like said, it, yeah. there might be some shuffling going on, but it's all going to kind of stay in, mm-hmm. in those top eight teams where the shuffling happens. Um, I hope, I hope the Rangers can keep 
can keep up and, and stick in those top couple seeds from the Metropolitan. But, yeah, like you said, the West is a little bit more wide open. There's only that three-point disparity right now between the wild card with Dallas, Edmonton, Anaheim, and Vancouver. Um, I see Anaheim kind of falling out there a little bit. They, they haven't been great uh, recently. Yeah. Um, well, can I just Dallas, also say, I mean, the biggest thing is we did a podcast, what, like three months ago, and we were like, man – you know, Colorado's kind of like struggling. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, uh, you know what I they've done you, since we, <laughs> <them out. I laughs> no, we weren't counting them out, but, and I think we both, we both said like, we expect them to bounce back, but my God, they're 23, three and they're 23, three and three at home. You know, I know they lost to the devils tonight as we record this and they, they, they lost to the coyotes, but 87 points. Sure. I mean, Joe, they're on pace to maybe challenge the lightning for best regular season team ever. They have 12 losses right now. They are 41 and 12 and 5 right now. So, it's pretty nuts, and, man. And the, teams, and the teams behind them, like St. Louis is a great team. Minnesota, I never sour on Minnesota. No, you're, you're I, right on that. I tell you every time. But we both whiffed on Nashville, though. We definitely we both did. We whiffed on Nashville because that was the team that we were counting out. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we had no love for the Kings. We had no love Dude, for the The Kings are – Todd McCollin's going to win Coach of the Year, I think, because – what they've done, I mean, they were coming off of a couple of just brutal years. And, you know, the Ducks were a little bit ahead of them earlier. They faltered. The Kings in that two spot ahead of Vegas is really startling. I, I mean, Calgary looks like they have a legit cup contender team, too. That game against Colorado the other night where Calgary won was awesome. And I think that, you know, them in this first-place division doesn't necessarily surprise me as much because they've got the skill. They just needed the goaltending, and they're playing Sutter style. But... What the Kings have done with a roster that has basically been revamped on the fly the last two years is nothing short of ridiculous. Yeah, and it's not like they have outside of Kopitar. It's not like they have, you know, those mm-hmm. those top line dudes. They're kind of just skating by. Yeah, they remind me of a of a Blue Jackets kind of team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's also nice that Seattle is telling us exactly what an expansion team is supposed to look like because everybody forgot. Um, it's been brutal there. <laughs> I expect Giordano to probably get traded at the deadline. I think he's the big one so there. The thing is, the thing is, they the Kraken have identified the players that they want to keep. They have identified their core guys, and obviously that started to do a five-year deal today. And he attributed that to being a lover of sushi. So good <laughs> Great. to him. Because there's some bomb sushi here, not going to lie. And I think uh, the Kraken, you know, it's it's been hard to, to to sit back and watch watch them because they've made a lot of questionable moves. They've done a lot of questionable things. I mean, for example, they took Nathan Bastion from the Devil in the expansion draft. And instead of giving him time to develop and do things, they just released him and he re-signed with the Devils. They picked up Austin Zarnik from the Capitals. He played, I think, two games for them, and they released him, and he re-signed with the Capitals. They didn't make any trades. They, they haven't really done anything. What I tell a lot of people uh, about the Kraken is it just seems like their first year, all they were trying to do was establish the brand. If you listen to any interview with Todd Lywicki, he is guaranteed, absolutely guaranteed, you will hear him say, we had 32,000 ticket depositors within the first minute of, because the whole point of the team to start was they just wanted to make the team, set the brand, get the name out there, and go from there. It doesn't seem like 
they put as much time and as much thought into building the actual team. I mean, I'm sure they did, but from from a fan perspective, from my perspective, it's just like they grabbed whatever. They didn't make any side trades during the expansion draft. They didn't use any of the leverage that they had. They didn't well, do anything. That was the other thing that they I get did it. was they didn't take any chances on, I, on big-name players. Believe me, I get it. And I understand the frustration. It has not gone well. But here's what I'll say. I keep reminding people what Vegas did was an anomaly. It, it's not reasonable to expect that. And Seattle, whether they wanted to or not, the, they're in the long game. They're going to get the chance to draft pretty high. If they nail draft picks, it can change around very fat, very quickly. And Chicago is the example because they hit you know, unbelievably all-time greats. But it can happen. If you look at a lot of the teams, you know, the teams like Pittsburgh, for example, and Washington, those are kind of rare. You are going to have down years. You're going to have to draft your way back in to that elite top-level goal scorer specifically. So I think Seattle's going to have some time. And, and look, they got a hockey team. Let's just be patient. It's a brutal year, but next year it all starts, and everyone will have zero on opening night. So all's good. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm a Ranger fan, so you don't have to console me. I'm just speaking I gotcha. from, I gotcha. from a Seattle I, point of view. I had two. Like, well, the other thing, yeah. the other thing that happened with the team was the fan favorite, the leading goal scorer at the time, Brandon Tanev, was out. He was the soul of the team. Best and he photo ever. Since, since December, he hasn't played. So they kind of lost that guy. And like you said about Giordano, I mean, I'm pretty sure the the word is he's he's pretty much good as gone from here. Um you can look at him, maybe a guy like Callie Yarncroke. Um, anybody else on a one-year deal is fair game. And the thing is, they're not going to get much for these guys that, that they're going to give up. So it's kind of just like they started from scratch this year, and then they're going to have to start, start from scratch all over again. Well, I did have two more things before we wrap this up. One being it's our annual what the heck is going on with the uh, Oilers, or maybe the second, but the biannual, I should say. <laughs> but they have the two leading scorers in the NHL and uh, tied, Dreisaitl McDavid, no surprise there. And uh, now they're on the verge of fighting for a playoff spot. Goaltending is abysmal. Um, they don't have depth again. These are the same issues, by the way, just being brought up. Yeah, well, they got a Vander Kane, though. <laughs> Great. Settle up at the casino, Evander. Hey, we signed a Vander Kane. Everything is good, all right? As an as as an Oilers uh GM right there. Um No, this is this is your side team. This is your side team that for some reason you put so much thought into because they have the best player in the game and you just kinda expect them to be good throughout the year. But like you said, they make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And I was I think it was you that sent it to me. Some uh, bogus uh, writing about how the problem with the Oilers is McDavid and Dreisaitl and how so they are causing the team to be the way that they are. Yeah, and they're too like, talented. It's their fault. They're too talented. Like, what, kind of bogus, what kind of bogus talk? Yeah. Um, but the team, you know, they're good. They're right on the, the well, fringe. I think um, a team could get hot in the Western Conference and make a run to the Cup final. I mean, it's kind of reverse of what Montreal did, you know, what they actually did last year when the divisions were out of whack. Because, you know, Colorado, I mean, would be the team. They haven't exactly proved it in the playoffs, but 
they're the only team that looks a cut above. Even Calgary, they're on a nice heater. I think that they're clearly the second best team, but they've had their moments too. So yeah, there is time for Edmonton to turn around, but time is running out. No, I totally agree. But they got they still have a little bit. They they're only a few points back. I don't necessarily trust Dallas. Sagan isn't the same player that he was. Um, and Pavelski being their top point getter right now, I, that's you know they're they're depending a lot from right. um, some guys that necessarily aren't gonna move the needle for them. So that little back end there. But that's the thing is like that wild card. I I feel, I feel like it's similar to when we looked at the NFL playoff expansion where the first round was just kind of like a blowout, you know, yeah. where, you know, like Vegas, yeah, they're, they, they're at 68 points right now, but I definitely think they're a much more superior team than, say, Dallas. But Edmonton, if they squeak in, could kind of change that narrative. I certainly could. I'm excited for it. Uh, last thing, um, Colorado Avalanche have a player that is on fire. And I know you're loyal to your guy in New York, but Joe, the Norris race is over. And Kale McCarr has it. He has it in his in his little cabinet in his man cave. Um, I also think that you know he's got I think eleven uh, assists in his, or no fourteen assists in his last eleven games. He's on a heat streak like that. Uh, looking at the NHL season, I think he's got a chance to win the MVP. I'm not picking him to do it, but it's possible. It's interesting that you you say this because I remember when we first started out, I said I asked you if Fox, if Adam Fox, could possibly win MVP, and you said it wasn't out of the it was out of the ordinary for a defenseman to win it, but that it would be possible. And with the year that McCarr is having, and him not single handedly, but him being one of the main reasons why the Avalanche have turned around to be this powerhouse that they are now, is because of Kale McCarr, and I think the season that he's having is just, you know, it's far, it's, it's insane the way that he's been playing, especially like you said, the last month or so, um, 63 points in 53 games plus minus 37. The kid is a bona fide star. And this, this lineup for the avalanche, they got, they have some, some star power. McKinnon, Landis Scott, McCarr, Ranton, and Kadri has been, you know, 72 points. He's gotten, he's turning into an, I mean, he turned into an all-star, but I am stunned of how good he is because he's went from third line grinder instigator to legit NHL all-star. Well, the thing is he, he has proved in years past, he had a couple years in Toronto where he scored uh, over 30 goals. So he has proven that he can do it, but you throw him on a line, with Orlando Scott or Rantanen or even Burkowski's having a great year. Uh, Devin Tate's having a good year, too. The Avalanche just seems to have made all the right moves, and they're clicking right now at the right time as they head into the stretch here. And the, the other part about it is they had a young defenseman by the name of Bowen Byram who was having a good year, too, and he's been out mm. um, for personal yeah. reasons for, for a while now. Um, so maybe hopefully they get him back. But to say, like, you know, they got Darcy Kemper, too, in net, which I wasn't necessarily anticipating him being one of the best goalies in the league. But when you have Kale McCarr in front of you, you know, that's that's how it goes. Well, it also helps that, you know, the league, the, the scoring race is kind of open. The contenders are down, which is what I said would be the way that a guy like Fox could win it. Uh, McDavid, Dreisaitl, the Oilers, you know, they're doing great, but they haven't run away with the score, score lead. 
Matthews, Ovechkin. I mean, their teams are struggling. Huberdeau might be the guy if, if he keeps tearing it up uh, with what their team's doing. But, no, I, I think it's possible. And I don't dislike either player. I think those guys are even friends off the ice. So it's a nice little fun competitive rivalry. And uh, if they happen to play for a cup down the road, let's go. I'm, I'm here for it. Well, Joe, this was fun. We went for a long time. I appreciate talking all these sports with you. Uh, pleasure as always. And uh, hopefully we have some baseball. We have your team in a nice little hockey playoff run. And Russell Wilson doesn't post anything cringeworthy. So we can have all those things. I think we're safe on that last part. But, yes, let us pray. <laughs> let us get some baseball going here. Hopefully hopefully soon. We made a work bet uh, on a bidet. We all put a date that we thought that the league and the MLBPA would agree on uh, new CBA. I had 3-3 because we did this a few weeks ago. I had 3-3. My boss has today. I think today was the latest date, so no matter what, he's going to get it. So we're going to have to all chip in to buy our boss a bidet. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, I hope we get baseball. I hope you're not on the hook for a big bill, uh, and I hope you don't have to you know, just sign up for a new credit card that bill that you never pay. So. I'm just thinking positive in all the areas. But Joe Crisali, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Always welcome here and always a pleasure talking sports with you. Yeah, you too, man. That was Joe Crisali. My name is Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just go to the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. It pops right up. You can catch the entire catalog. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We'll be back next week. More hockey, hopefully some baseball, basketball. All the winter sports as we look ahead to the summer as well. That was Joe Crisali. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. And until next time, keep enjoying sports.